Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Six. And Father, in our last conversation, we discussed relationships and the questions that we ask ourselves. And I wanted to do that relation or that episode to come out first before we dove into this one. And what I wanted to discuss in this episode is what the church calls the examination of conscience. Because we ended the, the prior episode by discussing things that we can do to make ourselves more receptible to love in relationships, which is synonymous, and as well as the way that we can receive and transmit, you know, give back to other people with that. And the way that I'd been preparing for this and thinking about the examination of consciousness was to relate it to our physical bodies. When we have something wrong with us, you know, we're sick, we got the cough or whatever, we can go to a doctor and figure out what is wrong with us. And then they can tell us, you know, do this, that, and the other, and you'll be fine in a couple of days. But when we're talking about a problem with our consciences, first off, we rarely get a red flag like we're coughing up a lung and our whole body hurts and we can't sleep. It's normally much more subtle than that. And because it's subtle, things can build upon themselves without us even know things are getting built upon themselves. Kind of insidious in that nature. So what I wanted to do was to discuss what an examination of conscience is, why it's relevant, and how often we should do it and how to do it uh, overall. So with that being said, Father, this is clearly going to be an area where you're especially in it and I'm here to listen. <laughs> Great, Joe. Well, um, I uh, th- there are so many things that I appreciate about you. And uh, from, from the beginning, as we discussed, you're kind of, if I may overuse uh, a phrase, I'm sure you've heard a thousand times, but the way that the ways that you are an average Joe <laughs> is, uh, is, is a really wonderful quality that I appreciate. And one of the things that you did just in asking me the question is something that almost everybody does. And so I'm so grateful that you also did. Um, we sometimes have a hard time deciding what, whether it's an examination of conscience conscious or consciousness (laughs) and uh so just to say it really clearly and firmly the the thing we normally talk about is an examination of conscience and that word if you spell it out looks like conscience and so often people don't even know how to pronounce it when they see it written out i include myself in that i didn't know what that thing was the first time i saw it uh and when we talk about being conscientious uh, that's from the word conscience, but conscientious is spelled uh, even a bit different than that uh, and, and is almost unrecognizable from it. So, um, so we often talk about an examination of conscience, and our conscience is the capacity in us to um, discern divine will, to hear the will of God, to hear the voice of God, to decide between good and evil. I say all of those things kind of in parallel. Uh, It's all in there in conscience. Conscience is something that we as human beings uniquely have. Animals don't have conscience. 
but conscience is really that interior part of us that is able to discern God's will. Our conscience has to be formed in any way. We could have a whole series on conscience that I would prefer to actually spend some time preparing for because it turns out to be a highly controverted thing these days. But uh, the point of an examination of conscience is we could say asking ourselves, being honest with ourselves, looking ourselves in the eye and saying, how did you do today? Are you doing good? Are you doing wrong? Is this the right thing to do? Is there something else that you ought to be doing? And that's why we, uh, you know, the penitential act at the beginning of mass has a kind of uh, uh, examination of conscience. It's a very short form because we often pause just for a few moments there, but it's meant to be a liturgical expression of that examination of conscience. Let us acknowledge our sins, brothers and sisters, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. And then we pause for a few moments, and then we say, I confess to Almighty God, to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts, in my words, in what I have done, and in what I have failed to do. And these are all of the areas of of, of acting, of uh, living, of you know, places that we can be aligned with God's will or not aligned with God's will. And so um, we talk about an examination of conscience in part as a preparation for confession. And so if you look up examination of conscience online, uh, you'll see a lot of helps there. And they often tend to be lists of sins and, uh, You know, people try to put together the kinds of things. If you read over it, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that. Oh, I haven't done that. And oh, am I supposed to do that? I didn't realize that. Um, That's wrong. You know, and and so there's a kind of formation of conscience that often happens through these examinations of conscience that are written out for us and in a more kind of yes-no format. Um, So all of that has its own own value to it. Um, But... I actually think that uh, what you said, I think, is a little bit of a misspeak, but and, and, and many people say that, an examination of consciousness, I think, may have more value or maybe a more all-encompassing activity and, and might be useful to think about. And you, you propose that we could go about an examination of consciousness by examining our bodies, by just feeling where we're carrying our stress, what's happening in our stomachs, where our heads are gathering up tension, where our backs are getting out of alignment, where our knees or our hips are aching or our, our elbows, our, uh, our, our wrists are, are feeling tense because we're clenching our hands or our jaws are feeling tense because we're clenching our teeth. <laughs> there are a lot of signs in the body that are really helpful for us and paying attention to things that are really a matter of consciousness and maybe also a matter of right and wrong, conscience, and also part of our relationship with God, which takes place, or the kind of meeting place is also in our conscience. So um, I think you make a great proposal by just doing a little body scan, I think is what they usually call it. There's a wonderful book called The Body Keeps the Score, and our bodies tend to hold a lot of information about us and uh, the traumas that we've borne and 
Uh, we, we tend to experience our bodies in different way when we're in different parts of us and relating with different people. You know, when we're with a, a boss who's scary, we find ourselves hunching over a little bit. We become smaller and we, f- we feel perhaps a little bit tense. Uh, depending on your personality, sometimes you might feel uh, a little more aggressive and ready to fight, <laughs> you know. So, but we can, we can track all of those things in our bodies. And, and that's the first way of uh, self-awareness is just paying attention to our bodies. And then uh, I'm going to throw it back to you here uh, mm-hmm. just after one more comment, Joe. The, together with what we feel in our bodies, uh, kind of in between our body and our mind, we might say, are our feelings, our emotions. We do experience our emotions in a somewhat bodily way, but um, if, if I said I'm full of joy, I might not be able to locate exactly where that is in my body. Maybe it feels like an expansion of my heart, or maybe it feels like a smile on my face. But anyway, I feel like joy is a little bit bigger than that. And, and sometimes sadness, too. I can, I can feel heavy-hearted, but it's not that I necessarily feel stress in my, in my shoulders. You know, So mm-hmm. um, paying attention to our feelings also become a, a point of self-awareness. Why am I, I – I know sometimes with myself, you know, I, I might have a run-in with someone – um, maybe, uh, I don't know, the kind of thing that'll happen sometimes I'm teaching class, somebody will come up to me after class and will say, um, you know, I really disagreed with this point and I'll say, well, I don't, you know, let's, let's talk about that. And, um, and, and maybe they express some real, uh, disagreement with me and I'll feel bothered by that. But then I have to move on cause I have prayer or I have a meeting, I have to go into something else. And I have to set it aside, but it's kind of nagging at me. And then I'm done with uh, my meeting and I'm like, what is that thing that's bothering me? Oh, right. And then I go back to the end of class and that disagreement. And now I actually have some space to think about it. And I'm like, what's going on there? What's that guy saying? Why was he attacking me about that? Why, why were we, uh, why was he, you know, make me feel defensive. And then I can think through it and I can work through it. But sometimes we, we feel things, but we don't have a chance to process them or we don't know how to, and we kind of set them aside. And it's important not to lose track of those things completely <laughs> because they don't just go away. They, they linger there. And so we want to try to keep track of where the, the different artifacts are in our interior. And again, to go back to your excellent observation, Joe, we do tend to carry those things in our bodies. And so if we're paying attention to our bodies and not just taking for granted a lot of the tension and stress and weight and pain that we feel, then uh, we can we can get some insight into where our hearts are. And that's one of the things I really like about the faith in general, and, and this cast as a particular example of it, is there are so many things that are just black and white and universal to all of us. You know, this is right and this is wrong. And, you know, we all have bodies and our backs all are same muscles in them, same with the rest of us and all that. Um, you know, anatomically speaking, we all have the same three muscles in our in our arm and all that. And we can go to a doctor if something's strained and go, structurally, this is wrong because this ligament got torn. This is how we fix it from a structural standpoint. But as you were saying there, when we're talking about these nagging feelings that our mind is telling us through our body to address it um in some ways it feels very roundabout 
you know, your mind is the initial thing that feels that nagging. Why can't it just make you start thinking about it? So in one regards, that's a, a question I have that's just perplexing me. That's probably a biology based question. You know, why is it, why is my body going out of the way for my brain to send signals down my back to make my lower back hurt every time I wake up just so I realize, oh, I hate going to this job, um, as many people experience around the country. Taking a bunch of, of pills to slow down that signal doesn't make the job better and therefore, as a result, tends to make back pain not really go away in the long term. So just a observation I've had there mm. and a question. Um, so... We know that there's a human element that says twisted ankle, do this, that, and the other. Medicine can fix that really easily. But we also know that there's this other half or array of problems that can happen that medicine can't go and say you need to go get a better job or a new boss. There's no doctor that can prescribe that to you. Um, you know, that this whole culture of trying to fix everything with a pill doesn't fix that kind of problem. And I think that's a very real thing that most of us deal with on a fairly regular basis. And that's leading me into the second part that you were discussing there is when we're dealing with feelings, is there a universal way that you know, we should have act or prescribed or feel because I know that just being around enough people that when different things happen, we all kind of feel differently about it, but kind of the same, if that makes sense, that the same general direction of a thought might be going on, but with different varies of intensity and, and all of that. So that essentially I'm trying to ask a universal human nature question, a, a faith type question there while recognizing that it's open-ended in the way that we all feel and transmit feelings that there is no black and white answer to it. Yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> we, we can, uh, there's some there's some variation in places that we carry stress in our bodies. Some people may carry it more in the you know in their neck, others in their shoulders. Uh, some some will throw their backs out. There are some really interesting uh, correlations people have made with like you know struggles with uh, a, a, a father's presence being kind of carried in the knee. Uh, the right knee for the father, the left knee for the mother. Anyway, there's some very interesting things that that can go together with, uh, you know, different parts of the body that you might not expect at first sight. Uh, we, we carry a certain uh, emptiness in our stomachs or uh, a certain pain in our hearts. I mean, we do have some some universality in the ways we express these things, but it's not absolute. There is some variation. And the most important thing is that we learn ourselves. We learn uh, where, what are the signs I, I know I, I tend to carry stress in my kind of my neck and my shoulders. And um, when I find myself uh, feeling very tense, then I have to ask myself, like, what's going on? Why am I so tense? What am I so stressed about? 
And I think it's useful to, to explore those questions in that way. Sometimes we can get stressed about being stressed and, and that's, you know, we want to avoid that if we can. Uh, but, but rather just to say, okay, well, it is what it is. I, this, this is where I am at the moment. And so let me just try to understand what's going on here. Um, you know, and, and obviously not everything we feel in our bodies indicates something else going on in our hearts. Not every, uh, you know, even, even emotionally speaking, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a tighter correlation. I mean, our emotions are our inner response to the outer world, but, um, but those things too, I mean, as we know, um, hormones and, and chemical imbalances and, uh, those kinds of things can, can affect that, uh, sickness can, uh, can affect our, our, uh, emotional state. And so there's a lot of different factors going on as we experience different things, but the best thing is to just start that process of self-awareness. And, and sometimes it's a matter of writing it down and trying to describe what's happening inside of me and what am I feeling in my body and my, my head and my back and my neck and my arms and my chest and my stomach and my, my uh, groin and my legs and my knees and my, my feet, you know, where am I, what's, what's going on in my body, that kind of body scan going from, from head to toe, from toe to head. And, uh, and then, you know, just an examination of our, our state of uh, emotion. What am, I, what am I feeling? I feel happy. I feel sad. I feel indifferent. I feel stressed. I feel bored. I feel uh, angry. I feel scared. I, you know, what am I feeling right now? Hopeful. Uh, so just kind of taking stock of that. And, and uh, traditionally, the uh, Christianity we've we talk about having uh, at least once a day sort of taking stock. I, I found that I do this better at, <clears throat> at midday than at night. At night, if I sit on my bed and I try to think over the day, I'll just like get lost. My days are so full. And uh, as I try to scan over the day, but I found that it really helps me at midday to just, I can look over the morning pretty easily. And then sometimes like right after dinner, right before dinner, I can just look over the afternoon and then I'm usually in pretty good shape and I can find other ways to keep track of the evening. Um, and just to, to pay attention to like what was happening inside of me. All of this takes on another level when we start to realize that God also communicates to us in these thoughts and feelings and, and we can discern God's presence and God's voice uh, by paying attention to times that we were there, there are some physical signs of spiritual consolation. There are some physical signs of spiritual desolation. Uh, not always, uh, but but there are, and and we can track them if we're paying attention. Times that our hearts are lifted up. Times that we're filled with faith or with hope or with love. Times that we're moved to tears times that we have a deep peace and, and abiding quiet inside of us. You know, these are different signs of spiritual consolation and the opposite for spiritual desolation. And these are times that God is speaking in consolation or that the devil is perhaps tempting, trying to hold us down in desolation. And so this uh, interior examination has a human value. Your psychologist and your doctor will tell you it's a good idea. And it has a spiritual value. Your priest or your spiritual director will tell you that it's a good idea. And to think about something that's 
good ideas that most of us just don't do. And to think about how our our phones in particular are designed to almost prevent that, to constantly be having something going off, to have us do a, a mindless activity to just put more and more clutter up in our paths. Mm-hmm. And how it does take actual time to sit down and, and do this. I know that in my world, um, part of the sales process is you got to constantly go out and find new people and, and, you know, present new information. You know, if I want to have a house get rented, I have to have people who want to rent the house come through there. It doesn't matter if it's the nicest place in the world. If I never show it to anyone, if no one knows it's available, it doesn't really matter. And for me, that was always the part that I liked least. So I would put it off, put it off, put it off. And it'd be great. I'd have all of these properties available for rent, but no one ever there to go and look at them because I didn't want to do the actual process of going to find tenants and screening them and all of that. So we all find these abilities to avoid stuff we don't want to do. And our society and technology has just gotten better and better at exploiting the fact that there's things we don't want to do and we can have a phone that can push it off or 10 clicks on the internet. And it's a real call to put something on your schedule and to stick with it, especially if it's new and it doesn't give you a beep or a a buzz or whatever notification gets your attention the quickest. And I think that that's something that we all ought to try to do to to be able to grasp the importance of evaluating ourselves. What did we just do in the long, short, and medium terms? Because as a result of it, you're going to figure out what motivated you and what what was the right decision and what worked and what kind of was lateral move and what might have even been a backwards move. And I think that consciously putting these times where we sit down and reflect in our lives is is hard. Um, You know, it's not the first thing you're going to think of doing. You're going to think of taking care of the noisiest thing that's in your life because that's kind of how we're built. And to actively seek quiet is a it's a very hard and disciplined skill. So um, with that being said, I wanted to, to give you a chance to kind of conclude our episode here is thinking of how important that is and how hard it is to do it, even though it's simple. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, it's kind of a contrast to uh, <clears throat> our last episode as we were talking about relationships and how important relationships are, essential they are for us as human beings. And of course, Relationships grow in large part through talking, through interacting. Of course, we grow also by just being in silence together. It's not exclusively through talking or doing things together, but um, but they tend to grow primarily in that way. I mean, it's a large percentage of the time is we're we're interacting in some direct way. But uh, this this episode, we're we're talking about something a little bit different. We're trying to we're talking about taking stock of where my heart is where my interior is, paying attention to myself and what's going on inside of me. And, and that's for the sake of 
interacting with others. I have to be self-possessed in order to give myself away. I need to know what's happening inside of me so that I can interact more fruitfully and freely with someone else. Uh, otherwise, if I have some blind spots, you know, we, uh, we talked a couple of times ago about different defense mechanisms. One of them is displacement. And that's where, you know, I'm, I'm actually angry at, uh, you know, my uh, spouse or something, but I take it out on my child or my boss or my coworker or whatever. I, I displace anger. And if I'm not aware of the anger that I have, then I could end up making a victim out of somebody else and destroying another relationship in the process. And so, you know, that's just a really blunt example, but that kind of self-awareness where I'm paying attention to the fact that I'm not in a good mood. You know, something bad happened to me today. I'm, I'm suffering from real disappointment. I was uh, singled out, betrayed. Somebody lied about me, uh, blamed, you know, and I'm not feeling good about that. And my interactions with you might be tainted by that. And so having that kind of self-awareness to know what's going on inside of me or that I'm stressed, I haven't been sleeping well, I'm sick, my, my body isn't working well. Those things make a difference for our relationships. But back to your point, Joe, that we're not going to know this unless we're taking enough time just to focus inside. And that requires a certain amount of quiet, um, you know, where we turn off the radio in the car, where we uh, turn off the podcast, where we unplug from things, whether it's walking somewhere or whether it's taking time in a silent chapel, being patient with ourselves. Like you said, it's a, we do surround ourselves with a lot of noise. And so it may be hard to transition into a little bit of silence and things are going to be kind of loud inside of us in a way that we were not used to because we were keeping things loud outside of us. And so we have to be a little patient with ourselves to say like, okay, it's going to be I'm going to feel a bunch of stuff and it's going to be really loud and I'm going to want to get up and get to do something else. And, you know, as soon as I stop doing anything, I want to immediately check my email and my text messages and find out what else is going on, my calendar, my whatever. Okay, I'm just going to set that down and I'm going to have waves of desire to do that. And I'm going to have to just let those things wash over me and they will settle down. I can breathe in through my nose, out through my mouth. 10 times really helps. It's uh, physiologically and even spiritually beneficial to kind of regulate our body that way a little bit. And, and those are some basic things, whether I'm going to take five minutes in silence or, or 50 minutes in silence, those are all good things that I can do just to sort of settle myself, prepare myself and get into a place where I can kind of be open enough and, and pay attention to what's happening in myself. And what a beautiful action that we all can do to conclude today's episode and carry us through the rest of the week. So we thank everyone for listening. If it's an episode that you liked or enjoyed, please click the share button. And that's another way you could help us grow. So thank you guys all very much. And we will be with you next week.